Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia, and welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace joined by John Pigeon as always. John, I am excited for today's episode because we have a listener story, and we haven't actually done one of these in a while, have we? No, we haven't. They're always good ones, aren't they? And I think everyone can resonate or relate to certain aspects of stories that are told, and it draws motivation for people, doesn't it? Most definitely, and to hear where someone's come from and where they are now and the process of buying, because buying for everybody is so different, particularly in lots of different states and just different situations. We've got Kobe who is willing and able to talk through her story of buying today. So let's jump into it. Kobe, thanks for jumping on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You have been willing enough to share your buying journey with us. And the reason I want to bring you on the show is noting the process you went through of decision-making on where you ultimately wanted to purchase a property and what led you that way. And I think there's a lot of listeners out there who are debating option A versus option B and they're two very, very different options and how they come to that decision-making process. So maybe let's start at the very start. When did you first start thinking about buying a property? I first started thinking about buying a property back when I was in school. Mm -hmm. Um, I always knew I wanted to buy something and have the cool house. Um, But at the time, I didn't realise how expensive houses were and what you had to do to get there. So it got to during last year that I started speaking with a broker with my partner and to work out what we wanted to spend. We did it based on my base salary, not my commissions. And then we did my partner's base salary plus overtime, just because we couldn't rely necessarily on my commissions, not knowing what could happen um, just in the work that I am in. And so when we found out our figure, it wasn't the highest amount for buying a home in Melbourne. Um, We would be able to buy probably a two bedroom unit, maybe 20 minutes from the city, if that um, probably... Uh, if we're talking in the southeast, not on the top side of Nepean, hi- uh, sorry, on the top side of Nepean Highway, not the bottom side, and we weren't too sure if that's where we wanted to park our money. And it wasn't until about halfway through last year we had just got out of lockdown and we were like, "What can we do on the weekend? There's not a lot we can do." Mm-hmm. So we went for a drive and looked at some display homes, which was more just for the look of the homes, not to purchase them. And when we were there, we realised, "God, this is cheap." we could buy some land and we could build a big house and we're not that far away. And so that's what we ended up doing. Awesome. So Kobe, let's go back a step. Uh, You you mentioned you had a deposit 
uh, or some money, you had some yep. lending ability, you were looking at a two-bedroom unit, yep. uh, 20 minutes from the city didn't fit your requirements. Uh, were you looking emotionally or financially with when you made that assumption? At the time, emotionally, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we live in a two-bedroom unit now and we've, that's what we've always rented. Um, but when I was like, oh, that's all we can buy, I thought I, I kind of want to buy something bigger than that. And then we thought about buying investment and there's all these things going through our mind, like what should we buy? And it ended up being let's not buy a unit. Okay, so high level, you knew you wanted to buy something to live in. Yeah. Okay, and... The thought of living in that particular area for the next 10 years until you try and upgrade with future savings and increase lending mm-hmm. sort of made you decide, no, this isn't for us. Yeah, we couldn't see ourselves living in a two-bedroom unit for, like you said, 10 years. Um, that's probably another couple of years of our life. Um, we got a dog and we have a cat and as most people do and we kind of needed space, especially for the dog. Mm. Interesting one, Emily, isn't it? Because you look at... When you want to live in something, it's got to have an emotional aspect to it. But the fact that Kobe and her partner have uh, pets brings a new dimension to their requirements, right? So which one are they going to forego? Well, they, they can't just get rid of their pets or they, they obviously didn't want to. Uh, so a two-bedroom unit was actually out of the question that based on their lifestyle requirements. And that's becoming more and more common, uh, people accommodating their pets or their kids or both and needing to recognise that, like we would always say fundamentally location is key in real estate, but I think more and more people are opting for accommodation over location or a, a bit more swaying to towards accommodation while still having a reasonably good location. So yeah, you do you do make decisions based on what you actually need. I'm sure if location was the number one thing, there'd be plenty of people living in one bedroom apartments in Bondi or on the surf coast, you know, like places right. that had the the appeal, but that's not the reality. So yeah, it's not uncommon for people to then decide and reassess where they're actually going to buy that accommodates their lifestyle from the actual property itself as opposed to the location. Yeah. So Kobe, did you entertain the idea of continuing to live where you live and buying 20 minutes from the city as a two-bedroom unit investment? We did um, look at investments and I think at the time we thought originally it would be our first home and we'd live in it for a while and then upgrade. And as we started looking, we realised that with the first home buyer benefits, um, we'd be better off buying something to live in for a year and then flip it into an investment property and end up rent vesting after that. Okay, so for the listener's benefit, not mine, are you able to say what sort of price point you're coming in at? So with our borrowing and our deposit, we could spend around 800000 This is in general, including stamp duty, whether it was an investment or a first home purchase. Um, we ended up purchasing land um, in an estate. So no stamp duty was on that. And we were able to use the first home loan deposit scheme, which is the government funded scheme where they cover your LMI. So we ended up going in with just a 5% deposit, which worked for us. It was not a lot of cash up front. Um, And then our same for our build, it was 5% for that as well. And because we were building, the government also gives you $10,000 cash, which is the first home owner grant. So technically we put down less than 5%. Um, on our property. Awesome. Yes. Took advantage of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And, and just to add to that, I think if, if we're doing it 12 months prior, that 10K I think was 20, wasn't it? Yeah. And And there was another state incentive on top of that so there was a state and a national so yeah it's quite it's quite an attractive time for first home buyers to buy land and and build a home on um but as we know there's there's pros and cons of buying existing there's pros and cons of of buying uh brand new or building what what did you see as the positives of of going this way other than the the financial impact um, so the biggest thing, probably besides the money, um, was that we'd be able to have a bigger home to live in for a while. We'd have a backyard. Um, the community we bought in has a lot of young couples in their 20s. Um, we've already made friends with our neighbours, even though our build hasn't started. <laughs> and that was really attractive to have people similar age, similar de- demographic um, nearby. And it's, I'm very excited to build. It hasn't started yet, um, classic building, but it'll be good when it starts. So, Emily, when did we wake up and 20-year-olds were building brand new sub, uh, brand new houses in the suburbs and uh, all sharing the court or the street with each other? Well, they've got Facebook groups for these things now, John. You can actually connect with your community on Facebook before you've even built. Um, and, yeah, it is really interesting and I think – what can really make or break an estate in those new builds is how many investors are going in, you know, what sort of rules are around the estate and how you landscape and how you become effectively house proud about your street and the look and feel. And, you know, for Kobe buying into an area where she's, you know, said she knows her neighbours already and there is that care factor, that can really play into the value proposition of that property over time because people will want to or will can potentially aspire to buy into that area as well because that's sort of like for like. You know, if you do decide to trade in at some point in time, uh, the neighbours and the look and feel of that area can really make it and that's a solid investment of time to get to know everybody and make sure everyone's working towards the same goal. It can really upset an estate and the value of properties where there's a lot of uh, investors with not so great tenants that don't take care of the property and there's a lot of respect. Yeah, totally. And and we here personally put a lot of research and time into uh, identifying estates that do have a high owner-occupier percentage. Uh, the problem with that is we don't know always until the houses have been built and the people actually move in. It's like, oh, they're an owner-occupier, they're an investor, they're moving out in 12 months because they're just taking uh, advantage of the first homeowner grant and then turning it into investment. By the sounds of it, you may be doing the some, same thing at some stage, Kobe. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? But I think it's fantastic that uh, financially you're able to get in but um, emotionally you're also saying, well, I've got a brand new house um, but I'm also in an area that I've got like-minded people doing the same thing. You, you're not out out in the burbs without anyone that uh, you can relate to. Can we talk for a second about the process of buying? So you mentioned you went to the broker, you got your figures, uh, you became aware of the low deposit scheme. Uh, just on that actually, because I think it would be helpful for those deliberating whether they should or shouldn't take that up. 
what was the process like? Was it a lot of paperwork involved? What did you actually have to go through to get and be eligible for that? Um, good question. Originally, we were going to use a guarantor, one of our parents, um, so we didn't have to pull the 20% deposit up front. And then our broker let us know that there were still spots left in the first home loan deposit scheme. There was a lot of extra paperwork than just your normal <laughs> mortgage, but I think it's totally worth it. We could go in with less of our cash. And a big part of that was with building, you have to use a lot of cash after your house is built. You literally get a shallower house. You don't get landscaping, you don't get a driveway. For our builder, we didn't get heating and cooling and we're doing our own flooring after. So we didn't want to put all our money up front um, straight away. Yeah. And how about the $10,000 grant? What was the process for that? Uh, that was to do, that was linked in with the first home loan deposit scheme. Okay. Um, just a little extra paperwork and our broker filled out a lot of it for us, which was very helpful. Um, but we don't get that cash until the slab is poured and the first um, build payment is paid. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so where is where's the process up to at the moment, Kobe? I imagine with land registrations that it's still sitting there looking like a paddock, is it? Um, yes, we have a very nice um, piece of dirt at the moment and we go and visit it every weekend and it looks the same. <laughs> um, so we titled, it was meant to be uh, late last year and then it was delayed to like middle of this year. There was a whole lot of issues, which is very common with a new estate. And we ended up titling on the end of January and settled two weeks after that. So after lots of chatting with our builder, um, we should be having our site cut in about two weeks and our slab poured, which is actually very fast for the moment. A lot of builders have a lot of uh, backlog. Yeah, awesome. And and when you were looking at potential builders, you, you secured a land uh, or a block of land, sorry. Uh, when you were looking at researching builders, uh, how did you assess that? Did you just look at the first one and it's like, yeah, you, you look okay, you, you do your research and let's go with them or did you spend a bit more time? Uh, we didn't spend as much time as we actually wanted to. This all happened in July of last year when we had just gone back into another lockdown. So we'd only gone and visited a couple of builders and we ended up choosing one based on recommendation from a friend who actually built in the estate that we um, are building in. And we loved their house for a volume build. The one that we chose had a lot of um, extras as their standard inclusions and seemed to have a better finish uh, in their homes. Awesome. And and we spoke about it on a podcast not long ago, Emily, the whole uh, getting finance on new builds, didn't we? And, and what's fixed price, what's not. I think it was in the Q&A how we, we spoke about, well, if we don't have landscaping and we don't have driveway and we don't have heating and cooling, we're actually going to have to come up with those costs out of our own pocket. Was your builder... Kobe not willing to include those because of the variances in prices or you just wanted to keep your lend down and put more cash in? How did that play out? Uh, so with the builder we chose, the driveway and landscaping is just not included at all, even if you chose um, to try and do that with them. Heating was included, but it was a two-star gas system that was terrible, um, just off all the reviews that we looked at. And it was a lot of money to upgrade through the builder as the builder adds on a little bit of extra tax that they keep for themselves. And same with the flooring, the flooring that we've ended up doing that we'll do post-handover through a friend, we got one of the highest grade flooring you can lay. And it would have been about 30 grand to do it through the builder. And we're doing it for nine grand post-handover. So it just made sense to do it after instead. 
it sounds like taking the time to understand those elements and doing your own cost analysis actually pays off. I think the problem a lot of um, first home buyers can fall into is they don't actually have the contacts to leverage. Um, so it sounds like you're lucky in the recommendation in the first place of having a friend who is in the estate yes. for the build, number one. Um, and definitely if you don't know someone who's built through a builder or you're unsure like there are reviews for a reason, you know, I think leverage them and even asking in community Facebook groups people, who people have used, you usually get some pretty good feedback uh, and then taking the time to consider, like you said, your two-star gas ready heat, heating system, that's not obviously ideal. So just taking the time and care with those things uh, can really pay off from a cost point of view. I want to deep dive into the figures a little bit more with you um, after the break to sort of talk through what you bought in at and what's happened since you have bought. So we'll be back in just a second. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So, Kobe, when people buy in an estate and they buy a piece of land, there's a risk and there's a reward possibility. There's a risk that the estate doesn't perform well and the prices actually go down or the market in general goes down and people can lose out on what they've um, paid. But there is a reward if the market goes in the right direction. Now, I think it would be safe to say buying in the time that you have, there is a very high chance you have done well out of this purchase. Could you talk to us a bit about the numbers of what you bought the land for and maybe some comparables of what things are selling for now? For sure. So we knew that we wanted a bigger block and by bigger in an estate, it's still not a huge block. Uh, We ended up buying 565 square metre block 
but you can't build on a lot of the front part because the builder or sorry, the developer says that you have to be 5.5 metres from a certain corner of the driveway to a certain corner of your porch. <laughs> and because our um, land is on a slope and an angle on the front, we have a lot of unused grass space, which my partner is very excited about because he gets to have a nice lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we bought our block, it was around $430,000 which at the time we were like, oh, slightly expensive, but it's not too bad um, because the year before, had we bought the same block, it would have just been over 300,000. Um, but in the estate next door, they are now selling 300 square meter blocks for $450,000 and same size blocks as ours for $570,000, which is crazy. Wow. So then what did you pay again, sorry, for yours? 435,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So not a bad little uplift there yeah absolutely and that the estate next door Kobe did you mm-hmm. do any research on that was that an option for you to purchase in there or is that uh, further on in in its development so the estate that we bought in only started building about two years ago and they started selling four years ago so we are stage 13 of our estate and there will be 17 stages and they're now releasing one a year and building one a year this estate next door they're selling stage five and they are not planning on building for another two years so so they've got a long way to go. That's still literally a paddock with cows in it. Um, ours at least has a bit of houses, which is great. Um, but that new estate that they're building actually will allow some shops, cafes and restaurants be put in in our estate because due to the, I think it's the council regulations, um, you have to have a certain number of houses before you can have yep. shops and amenities. Okay, cool. So you're getting a bit of a shopping centre precinct yes. in your in your estate as a, as a result. So it sounds like next door's estate have put in 2024 prices at 2022. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of an uplift there for them already. So the build that my maths isn't terrific, but um, 800 minus 430 makes it 370. Was that the fixed price build excluding the things that you mentioned? So we had to put down a deposit for our fixed price when we bought our land but that did not include site costs. And if anyone is building, I didn't know this was a thing. And we got a bit of a rude shock when we got our site costs back from the builder. They ended up being about 30 grand, even though our block is flat. Uh, That was a huge shock. And no one really told us about that. And so our build ended up being about 330, with a few of the things removed. And we did a lot of upgrades inside, but yes, it was fixed. We only had to pay 5% deposit at the time. And I'm really glad that we did that because it's a lot more now to do it. Mm. So by fixed, you mean fixed apart from those asterisk requirements there that's like site costs and exclusions? So we ended up being able to fix our site costs um, with the builders, which was good. And we do need a few extra things um, like board piers. And I learned a lot of about this when we were building. I had no idea you needed that. And we have to have a waffle um, slab as well because of the the ground. I'm just going to put it out there. And, um, Soil top. Th- yep. That was all fixed, which is good. But there are a few things that they included that we don't need and we don't get the money back for. So we want to, again, listeners educate to say, well, okay, if we're going through a process like that and we haven't done it before, ask the right questions, do your research, um, just look at the fine print and, and have that relationship with the builder that you can comfortably ask questions so that you are getting or you're, what you expect is actually what you receive. 
And so in this process, you've referred um, that you've had a broker mm-hmm. who's helped you, particularly with the applications for the deposit and things like that. Um, conveyancer as well in the process? Yes, we used a conveyancer. However, we weren't able to change any of the conditions on the land sale. Um, they recommended that we do, but the vendors um, or the developers' conveyances didn't let us change anything, which was a bit annoying because they had a lot of like sunset clauses that they could pull out at any time or like up our price until the land titled. So we took that risk that they wouldn't do that and we're lucky that they didn't because it was about seven months later that we titled from when we put our um, deposit down. Yeah, yeah. It's important to have a conveyancer, particularly, yeah, for, I mean, at the very least to be aware of what the worst case scenario is when when you're buying off the plan Um, and, you know, if there are any recommendations as to how to tweak a contract to make it uh, a bit more even uh, is always helpful, but at the very least you obviously need one to have a review of the contract. Um, So, yeah, really, really important. So throughout the uh, process so far, and obviously you sound like we're nearly at construction stage, which I'm sure you'll be driving there every weekend to check how it's going. Um, What's been the biggest lesson for you so far? I mean, I know you mentioned about the site costs there, but more generally, what are some things that have surprised you that if someone's going to go through this process as you have, that they should know? Uh, Definitely the upgrades within the builder. The builder's standard inclusions are really important. And the reason why we chose our builder was we got the higher ceiling height, and bigger windows and a few nicer things as standard. A lot of builders have very small, like 2,300 or 2,400 metre high ceilings and tall people would hit their head on them. That's not great. (laughs) And there just were a few things that you want to check with the standard inclusions. Um, But with that, our upgrades that we did and we put aside a bit of a budget to upgrade our tiles and mixes and a few different things in the house, that was shocking what they charge because if we bought, say, the tiles from Tile Cloud or Beaumont Tiles or any of those um, local places, we could have got it for like a quarter of the price that the builder was charging for, which at the end of the day, we chose to build with a volume builder because A, they were cheap, B, they're fast, and you kind of just have to expect that your upgrades are going to cost a bit more. Yeah. Um, so definitely check with the upgrades. And also um, check your developer guidelines um, because with our estate... We thought we'd be knocked back for our facade that we wanted, which is a bit crazy. We just wanted some weatherboard and we wanted a colour bond roof, which um, the developer won't allow if your neighbours um, up to three on either side have a colour bond roof as well, which is so random. random. And you can't have the same landscaping and the same driveway colour and all this stuff. So definitely check with your developer guidelines what they say. Yeah. yeah Have you had a bit of experience with that, John, of, the, of any estates with some strange rules? I oh, look absolutely. I think there's the setback requirements, there's facade requirements, yes. there's yeah, there's a lot of uh, requirements, and I think actually a lot of them are good because it keeps the the quality of the the estate um, intact. But uh, yeah, there's some interesting ones. I think the worst thing you can see, and flying in over capital cities, you definitely see this. You see just a cookie cutter estate where. The, the properties are pretty much identical. The roofs are all the same, et cetera. But it's, it's when you're driving down the street that I think that's, that, that's the key in realising, well, they're not all the same. They're not all the same colour. They're not all the same size. There's some two-storey homes. There's some single-level homes and, and there's varying size blocks. If they're all sitting on 300 square metres and they're all single-storey and uh, have, the, have the same facade, it pretty much tells you it's an investor-driven um, estate, which we don't want. No, not at all. 
So, um, in terms of looking forward, obviously, once the property is built, what's the what's the plan for you with this property? Obviously, to live in it, it's your first home. Yep. What do you think you might do with it over time? So, when we move in, we will live in it for the year to get our first home buyer benefits. And we are going to do a few upgrades ourselves internally. Um, it helps my partner is a carpenter. And so, we didn't want to upgrade something to the builder if we didn't have to. Uh, so, we'll do a lot of that in our first year of living there, add some value to it. And hopefully, by the time we move in, we can... Um, get out of the first home loan deposit scheme and have more than 20% um, with our like equity and yep. everything with it. And then we're going to rent it out, which we actually have to ask for permission from our developer um, to oh. do that because it is 99% owner-occupied. Right. When we bought in, they checked all this stuff to make sure you actually were first home buyers. Yes. And they said it's fine if you live in it for a year and then rent it out. But the estate we bought in is highly sought after, apparently. We didn't know about that until we bought into <laughs> it. And so I don't think we'll have any trouble renting it out. It's got the good primary school nearby that we're zoned for and... Yeah, that's kind of it. Hopefully we get some nice tenants and yeah, yeah, we'll rent vest and buy some more investment properties after that. Awesome. I love that it's not always a story that you get where someone's actually taken advantage of all the first home buyer benefits and come out with a really good result. I think sometimes people chase the benefits for the wrong reasons or they don't quite use them to their advantage and buy really well-graded property that actually is performing well. And I think there's evidence to suggest even just on the land value that you've bought really well, Definitely. the fact that you can upgrade some of the things yourself and not just relying on the on the builder to do, you know, obviously you'll have a house, but there's things that you can add to do value add to. Um, it's not often, and I'm always sceptical of people saying, oh, you know, I just want to buy with the first home buyer um, deposit scheme, or I want to buy with the, you know, buy new because I get the $10,000 and I think it's really important as Kobe has done to do due diligence as to where the numbers actually stack up if you are planning to make it in an investment property and having an estate which has such a high owner rate would be one of the key criteria that would make that a success. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good outcome and a story of one that can make all those things work rather than just chasing something for the wrong reason. Yeah, absolutely. And and. Kobe, you mentioned about the upgrades and the inclusions list. That That is really important, isn't it? And, and I'm sure you've fine-toothed combed every item within that contract. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's, knowledge is power in this situation where you actually know what your inclusions are and you because a lot of builders will have upgrades or title them as upgrades when they're actually pretty standard with most builders, like your ceiling heights, for example. Um, the 2550s should be standard ceiling height. If you go higher than that, then yes, that's an upgrade. Um, so understanding that when it's your first red AO, it's really hard to get some context around it, isn't it? Definitely. And I think it's really important that you sign a fixed build contract and Especially at the moment with costs rising, um, I checked yesterday actually to see just what the base price is compared to when we signed in July last year and it's gone up 60000 just for the base, not including all the upgrades. I'm sure they've upped them as well. And yeah, it's just about what you know and some of the upgrades, we really wanted a raked ceiling, which is so irrelevant because it's going to be an investment property and it was going to be 20 grand with the builder that we chose. But if it was going to be with a different builder, it would have been about six grand. However, we, you then had to pay for the additional ceiling heights and the taller and the taller windows and the taller doors and like all the extras. So it probably ended up the same. So it is important to get that list of the extras that you want before you sign on, which we had a tough time doing. Stick at them and just really ask for the list before you sign. 
Yes, I think communication with them is key and pushing and advocating yeah. for yourself in that process is, is yeah. vital to get Don't the right Don't let outcome. them walk over you. Yeah, <laughs> no. particularly first home buyers. I think sometimes, you know, they sniff a first home buyer and they go, oh, they don't know what they're doing. So, you know, we'll just sign them up and away we go. But I think you've got to be really careful and, and back yourself and um, advocate for yourself in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even have someone in your corner helping you out that's done it before. Most definitely. Well, it's been um, good insights. Thanks for sharing, Kobe. I know there's plenty of listeners who are debating uh, this pathway and probably been in a similar position around, you know, do we own a home for a year and then flip back to rent vesting and what does that look like for us? And there's just so many avenues and so many options out there as to how to get into the market uh, and maximising what you can. Uh, Like I said earlier, I think the reason I really like your story is because you've maximised the incentives and what's available to you in a really good way and you've chased them for the right reasons. Some people are uninformed or maybe buying in an area that they're not really sure about and just going for it and hoping it works out. So it is crucial to do your due diligence on things. Um, If you are in a debate whether to buy established or buy new, um, one thing, John, I've noticed is I keep getting a lot of inquiry from our listeners about, can you help me buy off the plan? Um, you know, or should I invest or should I own? And I don't do them, but you do, which is the form of a clarity call to decide between the two of them. And I do think that's quite vital because, um, you know, people like Kobe or in a similar situation debating one or the other, it's actually good to have someone who's actually completely removed from the situation and talk to you with a level head to understand it. So Mm. I don't do them um, because of the nature of what I do, just buying homes that are established that people live in. But John does do clarity calls and it's really um, helpful to be aware that that is a service that's that's offered that you could debate this situation with John and I'm sure he'd give you plenty of things to have a think about um, because he's got a lot more experience about off the plan than I do. Um, I just I, I love debating too, Emily. I love yeah, having a good old debate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, look, it, it, it is important. And, and I was actually speaking to someone yesterday in a regional area where there was a block of land that came back on the market uh, for X price, mm. um, knowing in the estate that the next titling was not going to be until October 2023. Oh, right. Wow. So. Uh, that that's a hot bit of dirt right there. That uh, because when people are trying to get into an estate, um, yeah, time time is the key. Especially when you're someone like Kobe that maybe wants to move into it to to live in, and they've got to work out rents and everything else. So yeah, waiting another eighteen months before uh, it titles means that you're not going to be in it for another three years. Yeah, time is critical. Well, Kobe, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Really appreciate it. And for listeners, I hope that that's given you a bit of a story to you know, potentially understand your own circumstances on or just hear from someone who has been through the buying process. If you've got a story and you've been a long-time listener and you'd like to share it with us, always happy to hear from you and um, would love to, to have a chat with you. Um, but thanks for tuning in. Absolutely. And uh, if you get five seconds, chuck us a review. Oh, yeah, that would be nice too. If you could do that, that would be great. (laughs) Ideally a five. Yeah, no less than five. (laughs) That's right. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks, John. See ya. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.